Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabona podcast. Once again, I'm Moose Wakonga, joined by Ryan Hun and Michael De Silva. We're going to discuss Arsenal today and the developments there, as well as Dortmund's crucial win against Leipzig. But before I go further, I just want to say this is our first ever Sub-Zero Conditions podcast. <laughs> it's minus two here in Berlin, yet we bring you this in such challenging conditions. Ryan, Michael, great to have you back. Hi, mate. It's chilly. Yeah, it's very chilly. It's warm in here, though. It's warm. I know, but it's not so dramatic. Warm with vibes. Very warm, lots of vibes. Ryan, you're a happy man. You've uh, seen a 2-0 win for Arsenal against Chelsea. What can you tell us about Arsenal right now? Oh, well, that's a, that's a big <laughs> question. Might as well mention we're going to be joined soon by Andrew Mangan from Arsblog to talk about some developments off the field at Arsenal. Just before right. we started recording, Sven Mizentat has been confirmed that he's leaving Arsenal. Um, but on the, on the field, yeah, after a very, arguably Arsenal's worst performance of the season away at West Ham the week before, I thought the Chelsea game was... Um, was probably Arsenal's best performance since the Spurs game at home in the league. Pressed Chelsea really, really high with Aubameyang and Lacazette and Ramsey just behind. And yeah, probably should have been ahead before they were ahead, but it was a well-deserved victory for Arsenal. I think Chelsea only had one shot on target the whole game. Mm. Um, and Arsenal had more shots on target and more shots and, you know, expected goals was higher, but they kind of let Chelsea have the ball a lot more. Right. Um, what did you think? It's difficult to know what to think because Chelsea started so well this season and now there seems to be a kind of countervailing narrative that, oh, actually, Sarri ball was always easy to unpick. And I, I just, I'm not convinced, I'm not satisfied by the conclusion that Chelsea is suddenly awful. I just think that, you know, yes, teams are smart, tactically, they maybe worked out what Chelsea's doing to an extent, but there is quality in that squad. I know that Sarri said his team doesn't fight and lacks intensity. And mm. I just wonder if the problems are more psychological than tactical. I don't know, Michael. Yeah. I don't, well, we want to keep the focus on Arsenal, of course, but I think Kante is being used in the wrong position. Interesting. I mean, I know that Jorginho was very effective for the first three months of the season, but you want to see a plan B from Sarri. Yeah. And surely he has a ready-made plan B right there. He has the Pirlo problem. I mean, we won't, obviously won't dwell too long on Chelsea, but the Pirlo problem being that everything goes through one player at the base of midfield. Mm. Uh, you know, Pirlo Juventus. The difficult, the difference is that Pirlo is very hard to press, yeah. and Jorginho is much easier to press, uh, and doesn't have the passing range that that the Pirlo had. Mm. So you have this challenge now. I mean, he doesn't have the passing range someone like Pjanic. So the problem yeah. is without the quick feet, without the passing range, without the mobility and the strength. Mm then it, it becomes easier to isolate yeah. individual midfielders in the Chelsea setup. Yeah, Chelsea have their problems for sure. But um, And I, I didn't actually see the game. I was in Leipzig. But Lacazette's finish um, for the opener was instinctive. And there's yeah. something about him that he's just one of these natural 
yeah. finishes, isn't he? That was the main difference between the two sides at the weekend. Where you, for Chelsea, it's very much playing too many square pegs in round holes. Yeah, you know, you're taking Hazard out of his preferred position and playing him in a position that he doesn't like. Mm. And I don't think Chelsea look as good with him in. I was really surprised that they left it so long for Olivier Giroud to come on because Arsenal played a diamond midfield, which left them quite narrow in midfield. Mm. And I really thought the way to get at Arsenal instead of passing the ball in front of them would have been maybe playing Hudson-Odoi, bringing Giroud on and actually crossing balls into the box because Mm. that's been a major weakness for Arsenal this season. Whereas Arsenal, on the other hand, had Aubameyang and Lacazette playing up front together, similarly how they did against Spurs. Someone like Lacazette, there's not a lot of top-class strikers that can do what he does. The goal was like a perfect example of that. Three touches, was it? Yeah, very tight space. He just swivelled and it was the most amazing finish. Yeah, not an easy finish either. Um, You were saying you drew a, a, um, before we got on the podcast, you were drawing a Van Persie comparison. Yeah, just some of the goals he scores for Arsenal remind me a little bit of the ones Van Persie Mm. Persie used to do. Just really good with the ball at his feet. And once he's got, you know, a smidge in a room. Yeah. But Lacazette's interesting because, I mean, you were mentioning the Spurs game there, but that was quite some time ago. And during that period, it's been, the form's been quite patchy. Um, And Lacazette, his place seems to have been under threat, just as some other key players have as well, or big names have. I always thought it was strange that Lacazette wasn't an automatic starter. I think the problem that Arsenal have had is since Welbeck went down, they don't have that many options up front. Mm. So if one of... Aubameyang or Lacazette get a serious injury then that's that's major speaking of major injury as well it looks like Bellerin is going to be out for an extended period maybe even well into next season yeah we're waiting to have the injury confirmed but initially it looked like an ACL tear Mm. um, just the way he went down not under any challenge holding his knee but there's been some reports coming out that it was actually a, a a quadricep rupture yeah either way it's going to be surgery in a good nine ten months i think of of rehab which is a shame because actually you kind of mentioned how arsenal's form has been patchy since the spurs game a couple of games after the spurs game bellerin got injured against southampton right and yes the the weekend was his first game back Uh and you saw instantly how much he brings that arsenal side i think arsenal was such a better side a better team with him in it Mm. and he's become a really really important player for arsenal especially this season he's taken a big leap under emery and um i think it's a real real blow to lose him for a sustained amount of time it's funny because i'm I'm more of a casual observer of arsenal but you know compare bellerin to someone like sanya and the amount that he pushes up, it's like Mendy, the amount that he pushes you up the field, the terrifying speed, the technical ability, the combination play, and all of a sudden, you know, it's almost like, you know, that those, it's the old cliche about attack being the best form of defence. Well, he's Arsenal's second leading assist maker this season behind Aaron Ramsey. And it's actually highlighted how important Arsenal's fullbacks are under Emery. Kolasinac has tended to lose his place when Arsenal revert to a back four and he's usually used as a wing back. But actually... Arsenal went to a back four on the weekend and mm. I thought he did really, really well there. And having someone like him on the left who's so athletic and good going forward allows Arsenal to play the midfield they played on the weekend, which they wouldn't traditionally play. I was a little alarmed when um, I heard comments from Emery before the game saying, if we lose this game, then top four is beyond us. Mm. You know, if Arsene Wenger had come out with those kind of comments, then he would have been, um, well... He wouldn't have got away with it. So what do you think has changed in terms of the expectation and also where Arsenal fans see the Emery project, um, where it is and where it can get to? I mean, as an outsider, I think he had to say that 
I don't think he meant it. I think he had to say it because momentum. You look United now are really surging. Mm. I think there's there's just I think it's a bit of a it was a gambit. You just say it because you're like I have to re- uh, regain control of the narrative because United are surging. Um, Spurs are you know scoring goals. They are you know fairly resilient. And I think it's just about getting your team talked about and getting their heads right again mm. because Arsenal did. They have let a lot of points slip. Mm. Not primarily their fault because th- th- they've had a, a succession of quite tough games. You know, West Ham are better than mm. their league position acknowledges. They are a good side. They will hurt you on a good day, West Ham, as they did with Arsenal. Mm. Arsenal weren't great against West Ham, but West Ham, their credit were very good as well. And United have had a run of, you know, relatively easy games. Mm. So I think Emery was just saying that to get people back on track. It was a reminder almost that Arsenal are not where they want to be. And I think of Arsenal at least as a top four team, at least, and for an admission so uh, even if it was just a, a soundbite or something to try and stir up his his players, yeah, it just didn't sit very well with me at this stage of the season. I mean, if you're saying it in March or April, right. then okay. But January, I mean... Interesting. Well, yeah. I think there's, there's two points I kind of make on that. I think, first of all, he was completely right. I think that if Arsenal lose that game and they go nine points behind Chelsea, you're not going to overhaul that many teams for a top four spot. And they would have been three points behind Man United. So right. you're adding an extra competitor into that mix. Also, I think that, you know, his English isn't the best yet. When it's written down, for example, and yeah. you're reading it, it it kind of looks a little bit more brutal than it is. <laughs> but, you know, his main task this season is to get Arsenal back into the Champions League. Mm. He's also, a you know, a very experienced Europa League coach. And, you know, if Arsenal go nine points behind Chelsea, then maybe a comment like that allows him to prioritise the Europa League because mm. I actually still think that might be Arsenal's best way back into the Champions League. Yeah. I don't, well, sorry to jump in, but I just, um, Arsenal are really, they're really well set. What, 15 games to go, only three points behind Chelsea. Mm. It's funny, Chelsea's squad is, I think, better, weirdly, than Arsenal's, mm. but the pieces in Chelsea's squad don't fit so well. So actually, in real terms, Arsenal's squad is better. Arsenal had better balance in their squad in terms of like Emery's plans for his players are clearer than Sarri's plans for his. Hmm. And actually at this point, Arsenal like a good bet for fourth, I would say. I can see Chelsea falling away. Um, I think I can see Manchester United coming through and their momentum taking them into the top four alongside Spurs. And, and Iguain the obvious, is the great unknown. And the obvious is yeah, that's a big signing. I think also though, I just think it's going to be a really massive week for Arsenal. It was a massive week last week. You know, the defeat to West Ham was was a real down point of the season. And then the rumours came out in the week that Sven Mizentat was set to leave, who was a major piece in this restructuring of Arsenal. And, you know, in, in, an, in an era where Arsenal can't quite compete with the very, very top level mm. in terms of finances for transfers and stuff, having someone like Mizentat there was great. It was a really important win for just to put some of that to bed a little bit. Mm. But, um, you know, with Mizentat set to leave now, it's been confirmed he's gone at the yeah. beginning of well, first week in February, which is a is a major blow. Definitely big news about Mizentat. Should we bring in Andrew? Yeah. We're joined now by the marvellous Andrew Mangan of Arsblog um, to discuss the bittersweet developments of the weekend. Arsenal obviously beat Chelsea, but off the field had um, quite a big, maybe a damaging loss in the long term. Sven Mislintat. Andrew, what can you tell us about about that? Well, it's just been announced that Sven Mislintat will be leaving uh, his position. He was recruited as, as head of recruitment. So his job was to go out and spot the talent. And uh, in conjunction with Raul Senyehi, who was uh, head of football, those two men were tasked with 
running the recruitment strategy at Arsenal. Find the players. Uh, that was Sven's job. Raul would do the deals. He's a deal maker. And that was the way it was supposed to work. But rumors began to circulate about a week or 10 days ago that all was not rosy uh, with Mislintat, that he might be leaving. There's some suggestion that at the time of his recruitment, he was promised the job down the line of technical director uh. by Ivan Gazidis. Now, Ivan Gazidis, of course, is gone. He's uh, at AC Milan right now. And the, the promotion that Mislintat was expecting never materialized. So it seems like there's been a breakdown somewhere behind the scenes, whether it's with Sanyehi. I'm not sure it's necessarily with Unai Emery. I think it might well be the case that there's a clash between himself and, and Raul Sanyehi in terms of who wants the power and who wants the influence. And I think that was always going to be an interesting part of what happened when Wenger left. There was going to be an awful lot of power up for grabs right? and people were going to go for it. And it looks like Raul Sanyehi is the man who's come out on top. I mean, is just because Mislintat did an incredible job at Dortmund. I mean, an incredible job. You look at Dortmund's yeah. recruitment policy; it's superior even to that of you know Porto or Udinese. It's 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 the gold standard. So, how is this loss being absorbed? I mean, it's early days, but how is this the concept of this loss being absorbed by Arsenal at the moment? Well, it's not gone down very well because we all understand that under the ownership, Arsenal are only ever going to be able to spend what they generate in right. terms of income and transfer funds. So. To get yourself a competitive advantage, having a guy who can spot talent like Kagawa, like Obamayang, like Dembele at an early age, right. bring them to your club, develop them, and maybe some might say it's a small club mentality to sell those players on at a later stage, but Arsenal have to kind of understand their position, uh, both in terms of the ownership and also um they're they're standing in the modern game right. you know we are the kind of club who who needs that kind of recruitment policy so if we find an unearth again doozy or a lucas Torreira, and four or five seasons down the line we have to sell them at a big profit it's not nice but you've got a big profit which you can then reinvest back into the team and i think that was what people were hoping mislintat would bring to arsenal find these gems these hidden gems in kind of the same way Wenger did when he first took over. It's more difficult now than, than ever because everybody's got scouts everywhere. But he did have a, a fantastic track record for talent. Right. And I suppose the, the other side of that coin is the man who nominally for now is running the football recruitment side of things. I assume Arsenal are going to bring in a replacement of some kind, but then this is Arsenal, so you never know. Sanyehi was director of football at Barcelona. And it would be fair to say that their track record when it comes to transfers is is iffy. Right. Um, they s spend an awful lot of money. Yep. They can absorb losses that Arsenal can't. They can spend money that Arsenal certainly can't. And down the years, you know, we've we've sold them a few duds in our time. When you look at Alex Song <laughs> and Webb and Vermalen and and this is the guy, this is the guy that bought them from us. So um, yeah. Yeah. there's a there's a little bit of a worry in that regard. But my my hope is that if it's got to this point with Mislintad, it hasn't happened instantly. It must have happened over a period of time. Right. And that we do replace him with somebody who can take charge of, of the recruitment side of the club because uh, Sanyehi remains 
uh, a deal maker. He's a businessman. He's a schmoozer. He's a David Dean kind of a guy. You know, the guy who who get a deal done and over the line, but he's not the guy who's going to spend, you know, a, a freezing cold Wednesday night watching a, an under-20s game to find, you know, a, a promising left-back somewhere. So something's got to be done to replace Mislintat. Uh, and until then, we, we can't really tell just how how much of a, a blow it's going to be. Right. Andrew, it's Ryan here. Um, I'm the uh, the gooner of the three, so usually I cover <laughs> this stuff. But um, you're a lot more closer to the club. I'm just wondering how you feel that this could potentially derail the transition that Arsenal have made post-Arsene Wenger, because it, it seemed to me that the way that Arsenal did handle that transition was probably smoother than any of us could have imagined Mm. For for a, for a change that seismic, do you think that this is going to maybe uh, affect stuff on the pitch a little more, especially because we're in a transfer window? Um, I'm not necessarily sure it's going to affect stuff on the pitch in the short term. I think where it might be damaging is if we if it affects our ability to get business done that we need to get done this summer. You know, it, it is January, and and people say, well, well. Let's concentrate on the January window. But a club like Arsenal needs to be making long-term plans. And and we can all slightly see a logic to Arsenal not doing business in January if it means we get players that we really want in the summer, which means you've got to plan. You've got to start planning now and start doing the, the, the groundwork and lay the foundations for deals that you want to do in the summer. So all of a sudden, our head of recruitment is leaving. Does that mean that the targets he had identified for the summer are now by the wayside? Do the club agree with those targets? Do they want to find different targets? Who is going to find those targets? That's where I think it might affect us down the line. This season, I don't really think so. Mm. The other thing um, that strikes me is the fact that what it is, is that the the transition that you talked about, uh, you know, it was it was overdue. The club was modernized, you know, going from the old school manager who managed every aspect of the club to bring in a, a head of football, to bring in a technical director, to bring in a contract specialist, to bring in other people behind the scenes. It was long overdue. But two of the three people who appointed Unai Emery are now gone. Yeah. Right. Mislin Tat will be leaving and Ivan Gazidis couldn't leave fast enough <laughs> after, after putting all this in place. And I think um, there was probably an onus on him to oversee the changes that he put in place for longer than he did instead of just leaving for AC Milan after a couple of months. So that that kind of worries me a little bit. I know he had a very good offer from AC Milan, but at the same time, having worked under Wenger and having had no real power to influence matters at Arsenal Football Club, I'm a little bit suspicious as to why Gazidis jumped ship so quickly as if somehow mm. he didn't necessarily believe in some of the appointments he made or the efficacy of them or or their long-term prospects. So that gives me a little bit of a, a pause for thought. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Andrew, it's Michael here. I'm a Spurs fan, so I'm not even going to pretend not to be uh, happy about, the, <laughs> oh, brutal. about this drama at Arsenal. But, oh, sorry, um, is that, I think Andrew's hung up. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to ask you, though, about the, the, this power vacuum that's been left by, by Wenger. There's, as you mentioned, three or four people, including Emery, who have been competing mm. for this power, this influence. And, you know, that transition was never going to be easy. So... I, I was interested by your comments that you think that Emery's perhaps not so close to this this power struggle. It's it's not necessarily um, about him here. But what makes you think that, and what makes you think that it's more about Raul Sanetti? 
Well, I think Emery is brought in as a, a head coach, and I think it's important that that a head coach in these structures has an influence over over transfers. You've got to get a manager players that he wants in the positions that he wants. I don't know how much influence Emery had over our over our summer business. At least three of those deals were done before he was even appointed. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like when Wenger left, because he had such control over everything, and he had the final say on all matters came to football, even if that power was being taken away from him a little bit mm. uh, towards the final stages of his uh, of his career at Arsenal. It was maybe a bit too much to think that these three men, I include Gazidis in this, Gazidis, Sanyehi and Mislintat, would come together to form this wonderful trident of awesomeness mm. for Arsenal. Because at the end of the day, these are uh, ambitious men, some uh, Gazidis and Sanyehi kind of businessmen as well. Mm. And I'm not sure the sort of power sharing structure would have worked. You know, I think you really need a a figurehead at a club. And I'm not sure that the power sharing thing was, was going to work out. And and it seems that it hasn't because now Sanyehi is, is kind of the last man standing, you know, and, and Arsenal also fudged it a little bit when they replaced Gazidis. They appointed Sanyehi as head of football and they appointed uh, the, the, the club's former commercial director, a guy called Vinay Van Katasham, to be the managing director. So we don't have a CEO. There's a clear line between the two departments. So Vinay is looking after the business side of the club and Sanyehi is looking after the football side of the club. But again, these two guys have got to make decisions together and they may not agree and we may have a conflict there. And I do think for better or worse, you need somebody who can make decisions. And I know there's Josh Kroenke and Stan Kroenke. I'm not sure how far up the line they have to take their decisions. So I I was very welcoming of the the new structures that were being put in place, Mm. but I was a little bit worried that it wouldn't quite all go according to plan. And maybe... Maybe this is just a kind of a stumbling block as we we move from one era into a different era and we, sure. we figure out relationships and how things are going to work. Uh, Andrew, I just want to throw this in because I, I actually am a big fan of the Arsenal structure of selling players, the, the Dortmund style. No one really criticised Wenger when he did it. No one criticised Ferguson when he did it. No one ever called United a small club when we were selling off some of our best players before their peak. Um, mm. So I wanted to sort of defend Arsenal on that. Looking around Europe now, there are a lot of clubs who have brilliant recruiters who could do the kind of job that Mizentat was brought in to do, mm. but who, you know, who could fit within that structure with Sanyehi and not really rock the boat. I mean, I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but have you been looking around Europe and thinking, actually, that club recruits really well, we'd like to kind of maybe bring somebody like that in? And any thoughts at all on where Arsenal might look next? Not really. I mean, the Dortmund model was the one that was to the forefront of everyone's mind because Mizentat came from Dortmund and he'd yeah. done such a great job there. But there are clubs who, who you're right, have got fantastic recruitment policies. Um, I was chatting with Philippe O'Claire on our, my podcast there last week, and he put forward the name of, of Monchi, yes. who's at Roma. Right. Monchi, of course, who had uh, a, an amazing record at Sevilla mm. in terms of bringing in talent and then selling that talent on for, for massive profits, while also helping to bring success to Sevilla in terms of three Europa Leagues managed by Unai Emery. Right. So there's there's kind of a fit there if he fancies leaving, you know, run down Rome for for a wonderful <laughs> London. Um, <laughs> but but 
beyond that, I don't know enough about football executives and who exactly is out there to to say, I want that guy, I want this guy. Yeah. I, I have a feeling Arsenal will bring in somebody perhaps with a with a history at the club. There's a talk of Mark Overmars coming from Ajax. Oh, wow. That would be a, a very, very intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> it would be intriguing because I've, I've heard good things and bad things right. about Overmars and the work that he's been doing at Ajax. You know, he's not, uh, how would you say, universally popular right. there. And to me, it feels like, again, his expertise is more on the, the operational, the business side right. of running the club rather than the player recruitment or, or talent identification. So it's, it's difficult to know. And, and also, we don't know, A, if Mislintat brought scouts with him right. from Dortmund to Arsenal, because the Arsenal scouting department under Arsene Wenger, if you talk to anyone who knows anything about what goes on behind the scenes at Arsenal, it was a mess. It was a real mess. So did Mislintat bring scouts with him? And are those scouts going to leave with Mislintat? And where does that leave Arsenal in terms of just having feet on the ground and, and bodies at matches and, and people watching across Europe and watching young players emerge at various clubs? Uh, it's hard to know. Right. It feels like they need someone they trust. I don't know if they right. necessarily trust Mislintat. Maybe that's the key. Mm. Um, but they've got to get somebody in because it's a hugely important part of what will make, will make Arsenal competitive again, hopefully. Um, Andrew, I just wanted to ask you one last question, and it's about Stan Kroenke, mm. because he's been majority owner for a while. He's now taken full control, and he's never, let's say, been the most popular owner. And I wanted to ask you a question based off a little back and forth I had with Chris Taroni on Twitter the other day about how mm. we, obviously, as Arsenal fans, assume it's going to be all doom and gloom now that he's in full control. And there's obviously been aspects with compulsory share buying and stuff like that, which is really sad and and some negative stuff that's come out. However, I wanted to see whether you th- are 100% about that or what you thought, because his US franchises, you know, the LA Rams have just got to the Super Bowl. His NBA franchise is second in the Western Conference behind one of the greatest NBA teams of all time. And one thing that he seems to have a record for is really standing back and letting the people who are specialists in that sport handle his teams. Mm. So... I was wondering if you thought maybe that this could actually turn into be more of a positive situation that many Arsenal fans thought initially when he took over. Um, That's a bit of a heavy question, I know. but (laughs) I I guess it's possible, but it's about getting those people in and putting them in place and giving them the resources they need to do the job. And that goes from the head coach to the backroom staff to recruitment. You know, let's face it, Unai Emery has got a very difficult job on his hands. Yeah. A very difficult job to replace Arsene Wenger, a very difficult job with some of the players that he's been left by Arsene Wenger. And unless there's a really solid long-term plan about uh, how we're going to recruit players, when we get to January and we're told we can only loan players, a club like Arsenal, apparently the, the seventh richest club in Europe, according to a report in The Telegraph the other day, I know we've spent money badly. I know we've wasted resources on big deals that haven't paid off and there's wages going out here, there and everywhere. But it is a bit concerning that the the needs of the team are not being addressed. Yeah. You know? And I think that speaks perhaps to Kroenke's absenteeism. You know, as long as Arsenal chug along, um, he seems willing to put money into the LA Rams. Yeah. Building them a new stadium. He's pledged, I think, 
if I'm mistaken here, you might correct me, but I read the other day that he has personally guaranteed $1.6 billion for the building of the new stadium in LA. Now, I know it's an infrastructure project, but it's an investment as well, isn't it, in the team? Yeah, definitely. in, in, In what it might achieve. And we haven't ever seen anything like that from Kroenke. You know, we get some mealy mouth stuff about how they're, they want to win the Champions League and they want to win the Premier League and they want to win the biggest trophies in football. And that's brilliant. We all want that. Every fan wants that for their own club. But you can't say that <laughs> and, and just not do anything about it. Yeah. No, it's like me saying, I don't know what it's like me saying, but you can't, <laughs> you just can't say we want to be a really competitive club in the Champions League and then just shut your mouth and not do anything. Right. You've got to back that up with action. And the reality, whether people like it or not, is that money talks in football and Arsenal have to buy better. No question. They've got to sell better. No question. They've got to deal with some of the squad issues they have in terms of the wages some players are on who aren't delivering on those wages they've got to streamline they've got to they've got to ship out some of the players but you can't tell people you want to win the champions league and then just not put any money in or or provide the resources to the manager to make that happen yeah yeah it's it, that's the reality of football these days and you know it's not like everyone's um saying look cranky come in, give us 200 million 300 million you know we all know that's not realistic, yeah. but don't lie to us and tell us that you want to be one of the biggest clubs in Europe when you're telling a manager who's only six months in the job that he has to scratch around in the in the January transfer window for a loan deal yeah. here yeah. or there. You can't marry those two things, can you? You just yeah. can't. So that's why I'm, I'm uh, if you're, Ryan, let's say cautiously optimistic that this might be the case under Kroenke, I'm sort of the other side of the fence and then about, 500 miles down. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd clarify my position as um, cautiously, I don't really have a clue what's going on. <laughs> Andrew, I just want to say as well um, that I'm really glad you flagged that up because I think we don't often give managers enough credit for the work they do with challenging off-field circumstances. I don't think mm. that Emery will get enough credit. I don't think that I don't think Emery got enough credit at PSG actually for handling that dressing room and those egos. Mm -hmm. I don't think Simeone gets enough credit for the astonishing job he's done year in, year out um, at Atletico. And Emery Emery actually didn't get enough credit for Sevilla days, given what Emery was up against to focus on the Europa League and use Sevilla's resources as well as he did there, was I think was extraordinary. So I'm glad you flagged that up. Yeah, particularly Um, when, you know, as we we talked about with Sevilla, you know, they would find these great players, bring them into the team and sell them constantly yep. so yeah, he's constantly losing really good players yeah and making it work um, well i mean i suppose i shouldn't wish you the best of luck as a united fan but oh yeah i'll do so anyway i'll be joining um the eminent um the estimable uh james uh, nicholas i think this uh wednesday on the ask cast that's um, right he'll be going out on friday so yeah. he's gonna grill you i guess about united <laughs> don't worry i'll be wearing thoroughly partisan and offensive colors for that so don't that's worry andrew it's an absolute joy to have you as always have an amazing year and we hope to catch you on here again soon enough thanks guys my pleasure right back from the break and still braving these sub-zero conditions it's minus two so i'm really i'm really hammering on this i just think it's lovely and toasty we don't get enough credit no we don't get enough credit for like it's minus two in berlin and we're still broadcasting (laughs) 
There was only one of us who really braved sub-zero temperatures this weekend. I can confirm it's very cold at the top of the Leipzig press box. (laughs) You're in Leipzig, so you saw this this game, this crucial game, Dortmund-Leipzig, which we thought would be a bit of a banana skin, didn't we? Because Marco Royce was out. Yeah, I mean, I... It was always going to be a tough game for for Dortmund, but when the news came through that that um, Marco Royce had picked up an injury and training on Friday, he wasn't going to play. He travelled, but he didn't play. Then you start to think, wow, this really could be tough for them. Um, but I must say, it was it was the performance of champions. Really, um, it's one of those games at the end of the season. I've written something for the Rabona website on this. When you look back at the end of the season at those crucial flashpoints, you know, right. obviously beaten Bayern in the Classica, huge. And Dortmund will probably have to do that again or at least avoid defeat um, when that game comes around again. But this game in Leipzig was massive because Leipzig haven't, up until this point, hadn't lost at home in the league all season. Um, the tightest defence right. in the league as well. Um, 17 goals conceded going into the game. And Dortmund had to put in a big big performance and yeah some of their big players really stepped up when they needed them and talking of one of their big players I mean the man wearing short sleeves <laughs> like in Saxony listen Saxony is cold this time of year and Witzel Axel Witzel comes up with a huge performance Witzel was absolutely an absolute powerhouse and I tweeted before that I'd I, I'd actually always thought he was a bit overrated. Like right. I always thought he was he was he was decent enough player, and obviously you've got to be pretty good to hold your own in the Belgian national team. But he was so good, so so good. I mean, the finish for for the goal, the only goal of the game was was absolutely. I mean, we've all seen that goal. What did we right. say before? Off the bar, seventy three. This is sounding a bit like <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit an old man here. It's a goal that Del Piero scores for Juventus against River Plate in the. Intercontinental Cup, I think it was 96. Ball drops them in the box and the semi-narrow angle. And you think to yourself, you know, that narrow, yeah. they're going to at least try and guide it in. Yeah. He absolutely rips. Like, <laughs> Ritzel absolutely. Absolutely did. And yeah. he was being closed down as well on two sides. Yeah. Like he had yeah. that split second to, 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 to hit it. I mean, you he, have to, you have to, if you haven't seen this audience, you have to, he knocks the cover off. Yeah, it was, it was a great performance from him. And yeah, the kind of finish that Royce himself would be, would be proud of. For sure. Yeah. Um, Can I jump in here? Yeah, Because please. Um, I just, Michael mentioned it, but he's done the first Bundesliga weekly roundup that's yeah, on yeah. the Rabona website now. Oh, good. The yeah. round, it's a roundup. I thought it was just an individual article as a whole. Well, no, I mean, there's, 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 there's a bit of buy-in, a bit of yeah. uh, Peter Bosch in there, the new coach of Leverkusen who lost his first game. So. Yeah, really good. Part of the new stuff we're rolling out on the website. And you can actually see we've embedded a video of uh, Witzel's goal as well. Ah. So as long as you're outside Germany, Austria or Switzerland, you can see the goal. I want to say as well about this and about the Leipzig um, game. Uh, for Dortmund, but more generally, the quality of the coaching in the German league mm. is so high. Like so good. that's what's the, that's the beauty of it. In, anyone that doesn't watch German league regularly, and we're privileged to watch it out here a bit more than most because we get you know more of the footage. The quality, the, the tactical quality, mm. and you you can see coaches working out problems in real time, yeah. similar to Emery actually with the substitutions we've seen this season, and you see that every game in the Leipzig Bundesliga. are a good example of that as well because even though they lost this game, there's no shame in losing to this Dortmund team. Um, Ralph Rangnick, who was a sporting director, um, has come in and 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 taken over charge of the team. I mean, he's a coach as well. Like that's, it's uh, it's not just like they've grabbed someone from the stands um, to coach this team. But he is, you know, he's he's tightened up their defence like so dramatically that they they're a different team. Um, and that's not taking anything away from Ralph Hasenhutl. I mean, he they were really exciting under Leipzig. But the very fact that he can come in and make such a fundamental t- change to the team, um, 
is is impressive. Um, but Nagelsmann is going to be at Leipzig next year, and that could be really exciting. That's a game changer, I think. Yeah, isn't it? I think so. It's a big win for Do- uh, for Dortmund as well because you know Bayern and Gladbach had both won before they kicked off. Exactly. Right. Yeah, which, the pressure was pressure, really yeah. on, and really that's a on. really tough game to start the winter break, which is yeah, you know. I re- like you can't really. Um, there couldn't really have been much of a tougher task for them away at Leipzig. It's the Bundesliga doesn't get much yeah. much more difficult than that. And um, yeah, I mean, we can't get through a podcast without mentioning Sancho, but he contributed as well. You know, he he was. Um, he Sorry, was, is, this, is this Sancho Corner? I think it might be. I just had to say the phrase Sancho Corner. So <laughs> that's what continues to streak. You have to say the actual <laughs> phrase. So carry on. Um, he was he was really good for me. Witzel was the man of the match, but Julian Weigel as well. He is a midfielder by trade and still a young player, but he stepped back into central defence and he's been doing that for a few games now because there's a bit of a crisis, injury crisis there. And he was he was so impressive. So yeah, there was a few players that put in a shift. Mario Goetzer as well played really well. Good, and it's good for Weigel because he had a slightly slow start to the season. And what I, what I like as well, just to sort of um, add this bit in before I forget it, is in the course of a championship season, what's so interesting is the way that players come into the sc- come out of the squad mm. and begin to play integral roles. Like, yeah. like Shakiri at Liverpool, yeah. they become integral and they almost it's almost like they become role players step to the front of the stage, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And there's what's more, I mean, if Weigel had done that as a centre, central midfielder, you would have said, all right, well played, you know, fair play to you. But centre back I mean he's he hasn't played there but Favre has seen his qualities which is you know calmness on the ball he's commanding when he needs to be and Zagadou and Akanji the first choice partnership are both injured and they've both been injured for a while and for Dortmund to absorb that kind of um, shock um, and get a clean sheet that's <sighs> such a big result yeah absolutely huge can I have a quick shout out for their left back is it Ashraf Hakimi is it the uh, yeah. yeah Hakimi yeah that guy is I mean we talk about brilliant fullbacks in Europe that yeah. guy has gone slightly under the radar mm. true to borrow a phrase from Draymond Green when he was talking about Luka Doncic he a problem <laughs> you know what I mean I love that yeah he is a problem for sure yeah what he's, a player he's on loan from Real Madrid and he who knows whether they'll call him back or not but he's been they need to sneak him out under the radar he's been crucial yeah. If, yeah I mean is there anything in place for Dortmund to buy I don't know if Madrid have put any protections in place for recalling him but he seems seems happy uh, friends of mine you know who are huge Dortmund fans big Dortmund followers love what he's been doing and actually one of them said Musa you need to mention Makimi like he's, he's, <laughs> he he's sent me an angry message he seems like the kind of guy that Dortmund will probably pick up very cheaply with a buyback clause for <laughs> yeah. Real Madrid and then he'll go back in a few years time yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mislintat may have gone, but his methods remain. Yeah. Um, should we go from Sancho Corner to Hasenhutl Ecker? <laughs> yeah, let's go. It just rolls off the tongue, yeah, doesn't go for, it? Go for, go for, go for. Uh, I want to mention this because it was another big win for Southampton. Under Hasenhutl in the league, Southampton have already got 13 points in eight games. When he took over, they were on nine points after 15. Wow. Hasenhutl is very good, or Mark Hughes is very bad. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe a little bit of both. It was a great own goal in that game. Lucas Digne tried to tackle Nathan Redmond and hit a wonderful toe poke slash outside of the foot into the bottom corner from about 20 yards. Love it. There were some good own goals in the Premier League this weekend. Uh, Fernando Llorente will be up there. Oh dear. I'm glad that Spurs turned that around for you because you would have been very miserable. 
<laughs> two podcasts in a row. Yeah. Like Spurs are absolutely decimated by injury at the moment in the in their attacking positions. And I think Llorente's shot of confidence, it's really hard for a, a player, you know, when he's such a clear understudy to Harry Kane to just come back into the team and expect everything to, to work. But the team kind of was geared around trying to get the best out of him. There was a lot of crosses going into the box, but he wasn't getting on the end of any of them. I don't want to scapegoat Llorente, but Spurs were not very good in that game. In fact, I haven't seen Tottenham play that badly for quite some time. And yeah, they you know they just kind of forced it over the line in the end and got three points. As Manchester United fans will tell you, a late 2-1 win <laughs> at Craven Cottage is not to be sniffed at under any circumstances <laughs> no, no, in no. any era. Absolutely. So, you know, we, can, we, must, we must give thanks. No, yeah, I mean, sure. as you mentioned... Spurs have got major injury worries at the moment. Deli Ali picked up a hamstring injury. Yeah, that's he looks huge. to be out. But there is no. one man who is back from injury, Vincent Janssen. <laughs> and I thought you were going to say Lucas Moura. I no, was so Vincent Janssen back red just in time to solve all of Spurs' striker woes. Yeah, isn't it depressing how it just comes down to squad depth year after year? You look at like Chelsea to an extent. Mm. Obviously, Arsenal to an extent, um, you know, and United, we've been kept buoyant at United because we just have squad depth. Spurs have produced some of the most devastating football of the season. But this you is know, the difference and, and between... And they're still falling away because of, because of injury. That's, be- between, that's between Spurs and, say, Chelsea, right. Chelsea are able to go out and sign Higuain. Right. Simple. And Liverpool can buy Van Dijk, you know, and, and yeah. it can keep Shakira on the bench. And look, I'm not criticising Liverpool. I've always felt that Liverpool are kind of... They're what Spurs would be like if Spurs had more money. Yeah. It's really it. No, I, I really you said no, that before and yeah, I agree yeah, with you. Yeah. yeah. You know. Speaking of Liverpool, that Palace game on the weekend, Liverpool Palace, was one of my games of the weekend. It's very funny to see Liverpool beating Palace 4 3. Well, it is. <laughs> That's it, all I want to it, say. I mean, it really is because, <laughs> yeah. you know, Liverpool kind of reverting to a Liverpool of a couple of years ago, yes. really. Yeah. High scoring, but conceding a lot of goals. Mm. You know, they kind of got away with one there, really. I mean, like Palace, Palace been going at people. Yeah. Impressive. I mean, they won at Man City. Yeah. You know, scored three there, scored three at Anfield. You know, kind. Of, I think I think we're unlucky not to at least get a point. I think w- when teams like Palace, or t- to be honest, any team plays City or Liverpool, they need to accept that they're going to concede a couple of goals, but they need to go for it and they need to deal with that press by pressing even harder. Mm. I mean, and their it, first goal, the way they escaped the press, yeah. was unbelievable. So that was the Townsend goal? Yes. Yeah. Can I actually shout out Andros Townsend? Because he has been a giant killer. <laughs> like that guy, like Andros Townsend had, you know, had a troubled time in terms of finding his place within um, the team at Spurs. But really at Palace has been a game breaker mm. and a truly dangerous. He's really, he's he's been a, on a real journey. Mm. It's funny because his father, Troy, is really um, yeah. integral to a lot of the kick it out anti-racism efforts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny because I follow his father on Instagram so I'm always seeing these proud dad posts. It's really <laughs> sweet. He's like, oh yeah, look, look what, my dad, what my kid did. Yeah. Andrew Townsend has had a similar career in some ways to Harry Kane in that Tottenham loaned him out to various clubs and he came back a little bit stronger each time, you know. And yeah, it was a bit of a shame that Townsend didn't. Make the grade at Spurs. There's a piece to be written, I think, about Lone Rangers, you know, players that go out on loan and manage to make it to the top. Whoa, 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 whoa. don't throw your ideas out. Oh, sorry. Well, (laughs) we're we're going to be stealing your IP. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It wasn't the only 4 3 of the weekend. Wolves, Leicester, first game of the week, Premier League weekend was another thriller. Last minute winner for Wolves. And uh, you know, Spirito Santo got sent off for getting involved with the pile on, uh, on the winning goal. Is that what it was for? Yeah, because he ran. It was on the pitch, so he'd run down and then ran on the pitch, and then I think they sent him off for that. 
<laughs> I assumed he had said something. I don't think so. Listen, if you're going to get a red card, it has to be one like that. <laughs> yeah. But also, to be fair, it was, it was a couple of minutes. I criticised Wolves so. actually a few weeks back for not scoring many goals and since then they've actually started. <laughs> so I'm wondering if I, I cast them or I, someone's, ah, oh, listen to that Rabona podcast. He says we can't score. <laughs> yeah. Santos has got, like, done the trick. got the podcast quote on the yeah, wall exactly. in the dressing room. <laughs> they walk in with the Dabri music. <laughs> <laughs> No, the Premier League's really exciting right now. Uh, obviously, City keeping pace, no one's surprised by the win over Huddersfield. Mm. Uh, but again, you know, I want to say about City, the quality of the coaching in the Premier League, like from top to bottom is, is really exciting. And I, I just wonder about Huddersfield um, now that Wagner's gone. I think they're not long for this world, are they? No, I think they're, they're going to go down. World. It's been clear from, from, to be honest, if you look at the bottom three right now, it's going to be tough for all of them. Can I yeah. be a bit, let me just be a bit um, reductive, but I think it's a sort of theory I'm throwing out there. The top part of the Premier League is dictated by the, quali- by the quality of the squad. Yeah. And the bottom part is the coaching, yeah. the ideas and the innovative nature and the bravery, mm. the tactical bravery. Because I think that, because those clubs at the bottom, they're kind of much of a muchness, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And we've seen that proved by Roy Hodgson. You know, Crystal Palace weren't too far away from that um, bottom three just a, a few weeks ago. And they've, attack those games against City and Liverpool and they've been rewarded. Well, this is the thing though. I mean, I mean, Southampton, you kind of assume are going to not go down now. The impact that Hasenhut has had yeah. and Palace seems safe, but they have st- Palace and Southampton are only three points clear of Cardiff. So yeah. they could get dragged back into it, but I just can't see The them one team that I it. thought would get dragged, dragged into it is Burnley and they're still not out of the woods by any means, but they seem to have turned a corner a little bit. Yeah, I th- basically I think that... N- the bottom three teams are the worst three in the Premier League. Yeah. So I think for the rest of the season, I can't see them making a massive run to get out. But on Southampton, let me just throw this, and I know you've mentioned it already, but we actually have to just slightly step back and be like, that is incredible. Like that achievement, mm. the fact that we're discussing Southampton in these terms, you know, three months ago, they were, you know, they, they were done. Like if we think, you know, we were thinking in terms of their trajectory. Yeah. The fact that he's come in and mm. been that good that quickly. Yeah. The uh, impressive thing is the, how quickly the he's, speed. he's changed the mentality. Yeah. Well, we said at the time and, you know, a little bit of a brag, but I wrote a piece for the Rabona site about how the match just seemed so perfect yeah. between Hearts yeah, and Huddle and Southampton. Yeah. There's not a lot of clubs that make managerial appointments like that, that you just think, yeah, this a hundred percent makes sense. Yeah. A, a definite return to you know, what they were trying to do with Kuman and Pochettino before him and a culture there that can support what Hasenhutl wants to do. And I think Hasenhutl is going to follow in the footsteps of, of those two and no offence to Southampton, but take a, a step up in a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, he's already proven it with, with Leipzig um, and now he's doing it. I really like Hasenhutl. I'm glad he's in the Premier League, actually. Yeah. And I, what I like about it as an appointment is it's basically like a well-run club responding to crisis by doing what a well-run club does and mm. sticking to its guns. Yeah. That's what I love. It's yeah. like, let's remember who Southampton are. We're well-run. We work within our means. Yeah. We're innovative. We're forward thinking. You know, and and right. that's not easy to do when yeah. certain people in the hierarchy hierarchy have left. You know, yeah. and perhaps some of that they've taken some of that philosophy with them. Absolutely, mm. it's actually counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive at a time when you are under assault, and you know, in terms of from all angles, yeah. and you're you're sinking fast. It's completely counterintuitive to go for a more expansive approach, yeah. to go for somebody for whom defence isn't the biggest priority. Yeah. Because you know, someone like Hasenhutl is kind of the high press. Mm. It's a bit of a tax on pleasure. You know, you can see goals at the back, but to go for that and be rewarded like they have is really I, I have total total respect for that and it's, it's good to see players kind of stepping up again under him you know James Ward-Prowse has been brilliant yeah. under Hasen Hattel he's kind of fallen out of favour with Mark Hughes a little he's bit he's a great Someone, player though Ward-Prowse yeah and I think one major aspect that I think is really beneficial for Southampton is just the whole squad just looks fitter yeah. you know and, and that's yeah. getting them through games you know I mean Everton 
we've kind of said it before maybe they're a little bit of a catfish but sorry the, the catfish <laughs> i have to sorry i i love this as a football analogy I, I was, it's I was, yours like I'm, but, you know. but just because it <laughs> it's left the levels it goes to it's so deep well anyway they won against everton should we take, <laughs> should we take a little break and then come and wrap up everton of the catfish <laughs> Okay, before we go, I have a bone of contention that was raised after last week's podcast. We had uh, complaints. It wasn't really a complaint. Anyway, someone tweeted at us about Moose's pronunciation of migraine. (laughs) Migraine. (laughs) Which, I'm not going to lie, caught me off guard at the time. Migraine. Migraine. I mean, I've always called it migraine. It's a US, UK thing, right? But have you always called it migraine? No, I call it migraine. I call it migraine. I think it's a migraine. I think it's a migraine. And I will die on this hill. <laughs> Listen. Migraine, migraine. The good thing if about this... three of us is that one of us always has the casting vote. Cool. So from now on, uh, you know, our editorial policy dictates that we will now refer to migraines as migraines. <laughs> let, let migraines be migraines. <laughs> My gons. Um, other news, quickly, there was a, it was a great weekend in La Liga, but I shall direct you to the second of our La Liga Weekly column. Should be up by the time you listen to this. Written by you. Written by me. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how Usman Dembele is suddenly good? Oh, he plays many computer games. Oh, he scores important goals in pretty much every match or provides yeah. crucial assists. Yeah, I mean, he scored on the weekend for Barcelona against Leganes. I actually didn't focus too much on that. I focused more on Betis's game against Girona, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And also um, Rio Vallecano against Sociedad. That was also a great game in the weekend. And La Liga is tight. I was, right. you know, I mentioned in the piece that if Rio had won on the weekend, they would have jumped out of the relegation zone and only been, I think, seven points behind Betis, right. who were in seventh. Um, so any team from about eighth, ninth down could go down this season. Wow. Um, so yeah, La Liga is really good at the moment. Can so I this direct well? you to the Rabona, com. And Atleti just creaking forward again. Thomas Lamar is easing into form and Morata arriving. I'm very intrigued by Alvaro Morata coming to Atleti. Yeah, I mean, apparently that was a really good game. I couldn't see anything because of the fog on the <laughs> yeah. telly. But um, yeah, Atleti oh, won 3-0. There now. was a hell of a goal in that game. Did you manage to see it? Santiago Arias, <laughs> second goal. Yeah, Santiago the Griezmann Arias. assist, right? Yeah, beautiful volley. Oh, Chris Waddle know. style. Yeah, yeah, check that out. But yeah, any other business before we go? I think we're good here. I think yeah. we've we've done well to brave the conditions. Um, <laughs> oh my! Sorry, it's just it's a thing for me. I just think it's we don't get enough credit for that. Um, but yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure um, speaking with you again, uh, audience. Thank you much for joining us, Andrew Magan. I'll be joining his Ask Cast later in the week. Actually, you can hear us uh, discuss Manchester United against Arsenal. Mm-hmm. But for the time being, thank you so much again for listening. We are on all social media channels at at Robotomag. If you find us on Spotify, iTunes, please leave a review. Please tell a friend, tell an enemy, and we'll catch you next week.